0: Our theme verse for 2019, printed on the front of your bulletin, is The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Not the joy of our circumstances, but rather the joy that the Lord has and that we can have and live in in a relationship with Him. Because if everything else in life changes, or the changes that we encounter in life, Jesus remains the constant. He is the same, and our joy is grounded in Him, who He is and what He is doing. Now from that, grounded in His joy and living out the expression of His joy, then moves us to the vision that He has for us. What does He want us to be about, and what does He want us to do? It's been said that vision is simply seizing the opportunities that God places in front of us. It is joining God in what He intends to do and He is already doing. We don't develop vision. Rather, what we do is we seek the Lord, we seek to discern what God is doing, and then say, God, help me to discern what you're doing. And how can I join you in what you're doing? Lord, help me to see the opportunities that you are putting right in front of us, and then help us, Lord, to seize those opportunities and live out those opportunities. Now, any vision has to be grounded, of course, in Scripture, and so if you will turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 28, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. We're going to look today at the vision that Jesus gave to his disciples, or what we call the great commission that he gave to his disciples as he was getting ready to depart and leave them and to go be with the Father in heaven. My sermon outline is contained as an insert in your bulletin. I encourage you, if you will, to follow along with me as we move through this message together. What I'm going to be doing today is, as we move through this is looking at the commands that Jesus gives us in this commission slash vision he has for us. And then also talking about the ways that we're going to live and work that vision out in 2019. It'll be a little bit different message than what I normally present as we sort of move back and forth from the scriptures to the practical application of it. Now, Jesus gathered his disciples together. They had gone through the crucifixion. They had been with him for three and a half years, seen him in ministry, heard him teach. And now he had resurrected. He gathers them up on a mountain outside the city of Jerusalem. He looks into their eyes with the feelings that he must have had of having poured three and a half years into these guys. They were close. They had gone through so much together, particularly in the last 40 days. But now he's getting ready to leave them. And he doesn't leave them by saying, I want you to live in the nostalgia of what you've been a part of for the last three and a half years. He rather says, I want you to look towards the future. And as you look towards the future, I want you to know specifically what I want you to be about. Matthew 28, beginning with verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him. The word worship there carries within it the idea of literally getting down on your face on the ground before someone or bowing before someone. They worshiped him, but then notice the next phrase, but some doubted. Our worship often is going to be intermingled with doubt. Our service for the Lord often is going to be intermingled with doubt. Don't let doubt hold you back from worship. Don't let doubt hold you back from serving the Lord. Doubt can be used of God to keep us humble. Doubt can be used of the Lord to keep us listening to Him. We realize when we struggle with doubt, we haven't arrived yet. We don't have our act all together. And doubt is a symbol and a a word to us that we're struggling in that area. They worshipped, but some of them doubted even as they worshipped. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now Jesus gives to his disciples and to us a series of commands here. The first command that he gives here is to go. But I want you to see in verse 18 how Jesus prefaces all these commands with a very important statement. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus looks into the eyes of these disciples and he says, As you go, I want you to understand. I want you to move in my authority, understanding that everything is under my authority. This vision that he's giving them would never be accomplished, or they would never even start trying to accomplish it, if they didn't understand that it was under the authority of Jesus that they went. He says, all authority has been given to me. The Father God had given him all the authority. Where is this authority? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth. Every place he says you go is under my authority." Now they were going to go eventually all over the world. They were going to go initially to the Roman Empire. They were going to be facing the greatest empire that the world had ever known up to that time. They were going to be facing opposition both from the Roman Empire and from the Jewish religious establishment of their day. And what he is saying to them here is, whatever opposition you face, my authority is over that authority. Whatever problems you face, my authority is over that authority. Now the word authority here means unconditional freedom. It is the idea to move about and not be frustrated by any other power. So Jesus is saying, wherever you go, I want you to understand that as you go in my name with my message, whatever you face, whatever you come up against, it's going to be under my authority. So you can move in complete freedom. You can move in complete freedom of doing what I have called you to do in the way that I've called you to do it because nothing and no one that you encounter is an authority higher than me. Now, folks, when we begin to act like His authority is the ultimate authority and the final authority, we will move in freedom of serving Him. But when we think that some other authority is higher than His authority, then we're going to be intimidated by the other authority. I honestly believe that the greatest issue that the church struggles with today is at this place. It's not that we don't hear God calling us to do a work for Him. It's not that we don't often have it clear the work that He's called us to do. But where we tend to struggle the most is who's the authority. Because when I get intimidated by the forces of evil that are out there, then what I'm going to tend to do is not go and do what He's called me to do because I think that there is an authority on the scene that is greater than that. When it's the authority of the problem then I will end up serving the problem, and the problem will dictate what I'm doing instead of the authority of God. I want you to think about these guys and what they were facing. Jesus stands there on this mountainside, and He says, I want you to go in My name and do the following things, but you're going to be going in My authority. Now, these guys didn't have, as the old saying goes, two nickels to rub together to make a dime. He didn't say, okay, go, and by the way, this is the bank account that you've got to work with. In fact, he left them, and he didn't leave them with any money. Can you imagine standing there, and you're saying, you've just given me a commission to go into all the world and make disciples of everybody, and you didn't leave me any structure. You didn't leave me any money. You didn't leave me, you know, a way to go about doing it. You just said, go and do it. No resources mentioned here. Jesus is saying, you go in my authority. And if you go in my authority, I'm going to give you the freedom to move around, which means I'm going to provide all the needs that you have. How many times do we look at what opportunities that God puts in front of us and we say, man, it would be great to go on that mission trip. It would be great to take on that project. It would be great to accomplish for the Lord. But then we put the unholy bud in there, okay? And that's the way it works. But we can't do it for this reason. We can't do it for that reason. We can't do it for the other reason. What's the problem? We have placed an authority in place of and underneath of the authority, excuse me, over the authority of Jesus, If God's calling us to do something, we can do it because it's being done in His authority. And He will take care of it and He will see that the needs are met and the opportunities are there. So often we pull back because of inadequacy. I can't do that, I can't do the other because I just don't have the education. I don't have the ability. I'm so intimidated by it. I don't have, I don't have, I don't have. You see, when all I do is confess what I do not have to serve the Lord, what I'm saying is I am living under the authority of my inadequacy. And Jesus is saying here that my authority is complete in heaven and on earth, you can't go anywhere that you don't move in my adequacy and in my power. So stop living in the bondage of your inadequacy and start living in the freedom of my adequacy. Satan uses so many lies to try to get us under that bondage of that other authority. We talk about going into neighborhoods and up to certain and up to folks and sharing Christ with them. And so easy, it's easy to look at those communities or those folks and say, well, we can't share Jesus with them. They won't listen, or the neighborhood's too messed up, or whatever the, the opposition or the problem may be. But that authority in that neighborhood, that authority in that person's life, is underneath the authority of Jesus. And if we will start acting like we are in His authority and that any other authority is under His authority, then nothing is going to hold us back. We just respond to His call and move in obedience to it. Now Jesus says, I want you to go, verse 19. It's a command that He gives to everybody. All of them were to go. And nothing else... And this commission happens until we go. We can't make disciples until we tell people about Jesus and they choose to follow him and become disciples. If we don't go, there are no disciples. So he says, go. We have to choose. We have to make the decision to be in obedience to him to go. And again, Jesus didn't look at him and say, some of you go and some of you don't go. Jesus looked at all of them and he said, go. Jesus has called and put a vision in front of all of us to go to somebody or to some group of folks and to share the gospel. It may not be to the same place. We all share different callings and directions from him as to who it is and where it is. But we all do share the same command, go. Now this year we're going to offer multiple mission projects as opportunities for us as God's people together to go. Let me quickly run through some of them. First of all, the Southampton Roads Mission Project. We call it SHRIMP, which will be the last week of June. SWAG, which is the project that we do here in Rocky Mount over in the Windy Lane area. The Jail Ministry, which is every Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Visiting opportunities that we'll give you. Vacation Bible School, which will be in the first part of June. The bus ministry, which we run a bus on Sunday morning and on Wednesday evening. Your own personal contacts. Ask the Lord every day God, there's somebody today that you want me to touch for your name wherever I go. Show me that person, Lord. Make me discern it and and grab hold of that opportunity. Overseas, uh, Jerry would talk this past week. Uh, with David Flannery, uh, who is in Milan, Italy, and we'll be giving you more information about that project coming up in the fall. Our Good News Bible Club at Lee Wade Elementary, I spoke of earlier. Our missions planning team is going to be meeting on Sunday, January the 27th at 5 p.m., and we invite you, if you'd like to come and be part of the team that's planning the projects with us. Uh, Last Saturday, we took a group uh, into Roanoke and worked at A food pantry there. Ministering to folks there and giving them food. Reaching every available person. At every available time. By every available means. I want to say that again. Reaching every available person. At every available time. By every available means. Wherever, whenever the Lord gives us the opportunity. We want to grab hold of that opportunity. And move with it. Now, Jesus said, go, and well, when you go, what is the first thing he says to do? Make disciples. Now, for the last, gracious, at least 30 years, there has been so much talk and so many books written about discipleship. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. How many of you love Spaghetti. Raise your hand. All right. You, you really get into spaghetti. All right. How many of you all have a family recipe that's your own personal family recipe for spaghetti? All right. Let me see some hands. You got your own personal family recipe on spaghetti. When I was a boy growing up, my mother had this recipe for making spaghetti, and it would simmer for hours. And I remember eating her spaghetti, and I just thought it was the greatest stuff in the world. But then I would go to my friend's house, and they had their recipe for spaghetti. And I can remember sitting there eating it and thinking, this is not spaghetti. I don't know what this is. It looks like it, but it, sure, it doesn't taste like mama's spaghetti, so it's not spaghetti. It's just an imitation of the real thing. And I share that with you because so often what we tend to do with discipleship is everybody's in favor of discipleship. And we talk about it. There are tons of books written about it. I mean, you name it. But everybody's got a different recipe of what discipleship is. And so when you talk to folks about discipleship, one person defines it this way. Somebody else defines it that way. And then we look at each other and say, well, you're really not doing discipleship because it doesn't meet this particular criteria, because there are so many different definitions of what discipleship is. What I want to do this morning and looking at how do we fulfill this command to make disciples is, first of all, let's look at what a disciple was in the day and age in which Jesus lived. The word disciple is an interesting word in the New Testament. It is used extensively in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is used in the book of Acts, and then it disappears. The word does not appear in the writings of the Apostle Paul or in the rest of the New Testament. So it's, it's interesting that that word that we give so much attention to disappears after the book of Acts. And yet, Paul was a tremendous discipler, but he didn't use the term. In Jesus' day, the, the term or the word disciple originally was used by the rabbis and the rabbis would get a student or students with them and those students would literally move in with the rabbi and live with the rabbi and be with the rabbi 24 hours a day. They would ask the rabbi questions and he would respond. It was very much of a a dialogue type of teaching method that they utilized. As you walked with your rabbi day in and day out and asked questions and he responded, you would over time begin to pick up the characteristics of the rabbi that you were attached to. To the point that people would look at you and say, you must be a disciple of rabbi so-and-so because you talk like him. You act like him. You articulate your faith like he does. So when Jesus picks up the word here and he says, make disciples the idea that he has here is of walking closely with him and walking so closely with him that I learn knowledge and understanding of God from in discipleship. I pick up the attitude of the disciple as a disciple and then I follow the example. So I'm doing more in discipleship than just imparting information. People are picking up attitudes. They're picking up example. They're picking up life experiences in discipleship. I believe one of the greatest mistakes that we have made as Southern Baptists in our understanding of discipleship is we have defined it exclusively along the lines of picking up more knowledge from the Bible. So that if you sit in Sunday school classes or whatever and you do in-depth studies of the Bible, then that means that's discipleship and you're becoming a disciple of Jesus. That is one aspect of discipleship, but that is not the entirety of discipleship. Now Jesus discipled in three major ways, and all three ways work hand in hand. So let me give those to you. Number one, Jesus discipled by understanding the scriptures. Understanding the scriptures who the Lord is, and what He is doing. In other words, as Jesus taught people, He enabled them to understand who God was, who He was, and what God was up to. Now, we get at that in a lot of different ways as the church. But I want to zero in right now on two key ways. Number one, a daily quiet time alone with God. A daily quiet time alone with God. If I had one major goal for us as a church this year. It's that as many of us as possible would have a period of time every day. That we would get with the word of God. Alone with God. And spend time with him. If you want to grow in your walk with Christ. The greatest way. The fastest way. The most sure way you're going to grow in your walk with the Lord this year. Is by spending time alone with him every day. If you just depend on what you get at church on Sunday morning, you're not going to grow much. You've got to take that and spend time in His Word alone with Him every day. Now, periodically throughout this year, we will provide you uh, with times of devotions. For example, back during the Advent season leading up to Christmas, we provide you with a devotional book that went for about 30 days prior to Christmas season. I'm looking at doing something similar to that leading up to Easter. Uh, When we get ready to do our mission projects this summer, we're going to provide you with a 40-day devotional that is to prepare you for the mission projects, whichever one you're involved in, and to get close to Jesus and be, you know, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit before we go out there and do those uh, mission projects for Him. But you're spending time alone with the Lord every day. Second, having a time of family devotions. If you're married... You as a, you guys as a couple spending time with the Lord in prayer and in His Word as a couple or as a family with your children at least several times a week. I, I can't stress enough how much that does to build strength of a marriage. Through the years I've been a pastor and when I've done pastoral counseling with families, what I have discovered is is that most families who attend church on a regular basis and who claim to be followers of Jesus uh, don't pray together. They don't read the Word of God together. They just sort of depend on coming to church on Sunday to get them by. I just can't stress importance enough of getting together with the Lord as a family. And you may say, well, pastor, you know, I don't have a clue as to what I'm going to say and what I'm going to do when we get together. Just get a Bible out And start in the book of Psalms or in the Gospel of John or somewhere. And just read some scripture together and then pray. And most of us, you know, struggle with prayer because we say we're lousy prayers. Let me share something with you. All of us are lousy prayers, okay? There's no such thing as a good prayer. The only good prayer is the Holy Spirit. So you're off the hook on being a good prayer. But He has given us the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, and to teach us how to pray and even to pray on our behalf. So don't worry about, oh, what are my kids going to think if I sit here and start tripling all over my words and mumbling and I don't know what to say in front of them when I pray. All your kids need to hear is you making the attempt. They're not sitting there worried about if Daddy can really knock down a prayer. You know, Mama's got the angels in glory singing because she prays. That's not what they're going to think 40 years from now. What they're going to remember is that you were trying to get a hold of God. So just pray together as a family at least several times a week and, and read some of His Word together. And don't worry about making it a long experience. And if you want to kill a family devotional time, is read through the book of Revelation in one sitting, all right? The kids are going to be sitting there playing with their mashed potatoes and wondering when in the world is this going to ever get over, etc. So don't worry about trying to do that. The length is not the issue. It is just spending some time alone with the Lord as a family, And then, of course, as individuals, worshiping Him. Wherever that takes place is where we encounter Him and we are changed by Him and our understanding of Him grows. So the first aspect of discipleship, Jesus, had was understanding. Second, experience. Jesus took the disciples out in the fields and the streets and they did ministry together. And let me illustrate this in two ways. When I was in college... My first year in college, I had to take biology 101 and biology 102. And I went into a classroom and sat in a seat, and a professor came in and began to teach us biology. And I had a book, and I would go home and read the book and study the biology textbook, and then I'd sit in the lectures and take notes. That was biology 101 and biology 102. And then I had to sign up for biology lab. Now, when I went into lab class, it was entirely different from the lecture class. I remember walking into lab class, and instead of a whole bunch of chairs there in the classroom, they had these laboratories. And we stood and sat behind these laboratories. And they had microscopes. And the professor would come in, and he would say, Okay, today we're going to look at this particular specimen. And instead of looking at something in a book... He had something that was alive or something that used to be alive. And he'd pull that out and he'd say, all right, I want you to take it and I want you to look at it under the microscope. I want you to handle it. Well, biology lab class was a class where you touched it, you smelled it. Lord knows you smelled it. Uh, You saw it. I mean, you used all your senses to engage it. It was very different from lecture class because often what the professor I had would do is he'd come in there and he'd he'd say, this is what you're going to do then, and he'd get us set up and get us going, and then he'd leave the classroom. I remember the first time he walked out of the class, I don't know what he was doing, getting a cup of coffee or something, but I'm sitting there thinking, what in the world is Dr. Cooley doing, walking out of here and leaving us like this? But the idea was it was time for you to get your hands into it and to experiment with it. And what Jesus did in discipleship with his disciples is he would gather them, he would teach them, he would talk to them, they would have lecture time. Dialogue time. And then Jesus would say, okay, guys, this has been wonderful. It's time to get up and go out and do it in the lab of life. Let me give you an example of one time Jesus did it. He did it tons of times. In fact, the longer the disciples followed him, the more he did it. But they've been talking about the powers of light and the powers of darkness. So Jesus decides they're going to go to the town of Gardea. Because Jesus knows there's a demon-possessed guy in Gardea, who's living in the kingdom of darkness. Now, what Jesus did when he got to Gardea is he did not sit them down and say, we're going to have a lecture about the powers of darkness and demon control. What Jesus did is they walked in, and as they walked into the tiny town of Gardea, there's a cemetery on the other end of town, and there's this guy who's filled with demons running through the cemetery, screaming, hollering, Uh, he's got pus around me, He's horrible. And Jesus walked straight through town and walked straight to the cemetery. Now, I want you to imagine if you had put a blood pressure cup on the arms of those disciples. Because as they got closer and closer to that cemetery, it began to dawn on them what was about to happen. I would imagine by the time you got in the cemetery, you would have seen the blood pressure cups flying off of their arms. The blood pressure was so high. Jesus walked straight into the cemetery and he got straight up to the man. And the man is just standing there, and he's, got, he's drooling. He's got the plus, the blood He's horrible looking. The guy looks horrible. He smells horrible. And Jesus is saying to these disciples through experience, we're not going to just talk about the powers of darkness. Now you are face to face with the powers of darkness. I want you to see how bad it is. I want you to smell how bad it is. I want you to touch how bad it is. I want you to be in the shock of how bad it is. And then Jesus looks at the man And speaks to the demons. And they say, we are a legion for we are many. And then Jesus casts the demons out. And they see the authority of Jesus, not in theory, but on display. And then the story says that when the demons left the man, he was seated. And clothed. And in his right mind. That was the discipleship of experience. And you see folks. What Jesus wants to do with us. Is not have us just sit inside the church building. Where it's comfortable. And it's safe. And we enjoy learning. But he says it's time to get to lab class. All of the mission projects that I talked about. Are labs. Where we're going to go. And we're going to see what he can do, and what he wants to do, and what he will do. When I was pastored in Virginia Beach years ago, I had a church member that asked us if we would come to her neighborhood and conduct an outdoor vacation Bible school. It was about a mile down the road from our church. And we said yes, and we went down there, and this is a small neighborhood, and the front Yards were really small, and so we literally had to do the vacation Bible school out of the back of cars. So we would throw up uh, the back of the cars, but the trunks and so forth, and we'd have the craft trunk and the recreation area and the music and so forth. This community had been targeted by the city of Virginia Beach for the of crime that was going on there. And we didn't know this at the time, but there was a house across the street where they peddled dope all the time. And one of the things I love to do when we go on a mission project like that is to crank the music up when we get in there. And the reason I like to crank the music up is the music above everything else communicates Jesus is in town and he's taking over the neighborhood. Okay, I don't care whatever kind of music you've been playing, we're going to have Jesus music playing now in the neighborhood. So we got the music going and we got the Bible school going in the second night. My church member who lived in that house came up to me and she says, I don't know what's going on in this neighborhood. And I looked at her, she says, but she pointed to the house, townhouse cross. She says, they're out there every night pushing drugs. And she said, the drug dealers have disappeared. The drug dealers have disappeared. That's because when Jesus shows up, the powers of darkness have to pack up and get out. But see, we were learning discipleship there by experience, not just sit in the church and talk about how what Jesus can do. Let's get out in the neighborhood and see what Jesus can do. You see, for the children who lived in that neighborhood, they were knowing the freedom and the power of God in their neighborhood. And hear me clearly on this. Our church was a block about 5 blocks from there but Jesus inside that building wasn't doing those kids in that neighborhood any good but when the church went into the neighborhood and told the folks and we saw the power of God all of a sudden Jesus in the church was Jesus in the neighborhood and that's what connected for them and that's what he's calling us to be a part of that's that idea of experience he taught by understanding he taught by experience and he taught by example The disciples came to Jesus and he taught them by example how to pray. They came to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Why did the disciples ask Jesus, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Let me tell you why they didn't ask him. Because Jesus did not pray long, boring prayers that accomplished absolutely nothing. I mean, can you imagine the disciples saying, Jesus, would you teach me how to pray a long prayer that is super boring and doesn't seem to accomplish a thing? They watched him pray prayers, most of which were short from what we see in the Scriptures, but they were sock full with the power of God. Lord, would you teach us to pray? And he gave them what we know is the Lord's Prayer. So the idea of example is that we learn how to pray from him, and we teach people how to pray, but when we teach people how to pray, we teach people how to pray because they listen and they hear us connect to God. I had a gentleman when I was pastor at First Baptist Galax. Henry Parker was his name. I think Henry's gone on to be with the Lord now. I used to love to be with that man when he prayed. I, even out on visitation, Henry at that time was in—I guess he was in his seventies—and we'd end up a visit and Henry'd say time to pray. First time this happened to me when I was with Henry, it sort of threw me off. He said, "We're going to pray close out the visit." Henry was sitting in a chair. Henry got out of the chair and Henry got down on his knees. I'm sitting here thinking, what is Henry doing? And as the pastor, I wouldn't feel I'm particularly spiritual at that point either. Because guys is on his knees and I would. But Henry gets out of the chair and this person out, he gets on his knees and Henry starts praying. Now, Henry's prayer was not long. It wasn't filled with a whole lot of complicated theological language. But let me tell you what it was filled with. It was filled with the power of God. I could tell Henry had gotten a hold of the Lord, and Henry was talking to the Lord, and you could just feel the presence of God in the room. And as I watched him, and as I listened to him, I thought, I want to be able to pray like Henry prays. I want to be able to get a hold of God the way Henry has gotten in communication and a hold of God. That's that idea of example. We're going to have some times this year that I call prayer outs. Now, in a football game, you have a timeout. And a timeout is used to regroup, adjust, clarify, and hear from the coach. So prayer outs, and we had one a few weeks ago. Prayer outs are times when we get together to regroup, adjust, clarify, and hear from our coach. So periodically this year, when I announced we're having a prayer out, that's what we're having a prayer out for. We're just getting together and talking to the Lord and getting instructions from Him. Jesus taught by example. He taught them how to pray. He taught them how to be in the Word. And we will look at that in messages when we get together on Wednesday nights. Right now, we're talking about the Lord giving us freedom from the Goliaths we face. We talked about fear this past Wednesday night. We're talking about rejection. How many of us struggle with rejection and how He wants to free us from it. And the final thing Jesus gave them the example on was how to do ministry in the power of God. When they watched Jesus and they listened to Jesus, they saw the power of God at work. And folks, I believe people in our culture today are hungry and thirsty not for religion, but they are hungry and thirsty to see the power of God. They are hungry and thirsty to see churches filled with the power of God. And when people looked at the ministry of Jesus, and when those disciples learned from Jesus, they were learning to see ministry that was filled with the power of God. And why was it? Because Jesus' ministry started in prayer. And it was from the place of prayer that the power of God began to flow. That's why when you read through the Gospels, it said that He was up a great day before the sun came up praying. That He went away to pray. You see, when those disciples... Would get up in the mornings often. They'd start opening their eyes and looking around. And where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Well he, he's, he's off praying. I think he's over there praying. They'd be sitting there as a group. Where did Jesus go? He was with us just a few moments ago. And after a while they got used to it. Oh he must be praying again. He must be praying again. But then when we get out there and start doing ministry and they were watching him heal sick bodies and deliver people from the power of darkness and teach truth, then they understood the power that was being released because the praying was was he was asking for the power of God and the praying and the place of prayer was where he was getting in alignment with the work of God and the power of God. And if you and I want to get in alignment with the work of God and the will of God and the power of God flowing in us and through us, the place of prayer is where it is going to happen. Spiritual warfare, I believe, is primarily fought and won. Not in confrontations with people, but down on our knees praying and confronting the powers of darkness in prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunities that you have presented to us. The opportunities that you will be presenting to us. And Jesus, we just ask that you would help us to honor you and glorify you through all of these opportunities. Thank you, Lord, for the adequacy of who you are and that we minister not in our authority, but we go in your authority. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you want to give your life to Jesus and serve Him and walk with Him, I want to invite you in just a moment as we sing to walk the aisle of this church and say, today I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to follow Him. I want to serve Him. I want to just be a part of what He's doing. And know Him. If you sense the Lord's leading you to become part of our church family, we invite you to come. If you just want to come and kneel around the front and pray, we invite you to. If God's speaking to you about anything that you need to ask us to pray with you about, we love to be able to do that. Lord, have Your way with us in these moments now of invitation and response. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand together and come if you will.